so we're, we're transitioning out of talking about gratitude, and we're going to spend two weeks now talking about gratitude. Uh, that is giving thanks. Um, you know, because Thanksgiving. I, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll teach today, and then Jeremy's going to teach next week. Um, and so he'll, that'll be great, because someone who's an actual pastor will come up here and fix all my mistakes. Uh, but as we, as we talk to grat- about gratitude today, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to, to use like a, another concept, I think, to help us understand our own relationship with gratitude and, and the way it plays out in our lives. And that, that concept is the idea of narrative or story. Um, narratives, stories, are, are extremely powerful. They do kind of three things, right? One, they, they, they're just, they're memorable. They, they kind of tend to stick with us more than just hearing something. It's, it's a, lot, a lot easier to remember an event that happened maybe than it is to remember a, just a fact about someone or some, somebody, right? And so so mem- there's something about narrative that is m- memorable and sticks with us. Uh, there's a, another aspect to, to narrative that I think is helpful that where we can use narrative to, to communicate very deep thematic truths in, in ways that are more powerful than just talking about them, right? That's why seeing uh, a story of love being acted out is often more powerful than someone just saying something like, well, so-and-so loves somebody else. Uh, right, and this is why this is why the entertainment industry does so well too. Like, there's there's something about the way story interacts with with our hearts that just moves us in ways that like a TED talk won't. Right? Uh, that's why that's why Disney makes more money than TED. Uh, and generally the. The power of those stories, or, or maybe maybe I should say the, the goodness of the story, what, what makes one story qualitatively better than another story is, is how closely it mirrors the true story, right? Disney is the, the king of this. They, they borrow gospel themes all the time for their movies. So we watched Frozen with our daughter for the first time a couple of nights ago. Uh, and I know pastors like to dog on, like, let it go because whatever, but uh, that movie, that movie's not going anywhere, and the reason it's not going anywhere is because it, it hits major universal transcendent themes of unconditional phileo love and sacrifice and even resurrection, right? It is a gospel story, and so it, it speaks to our, our eight-year-old kids' hearts in, in ways that we cannot, uh, and, and they're going to love it for forever and ever. Um, my great grandkids will probably watch that movie if if movies are still a thing. Uh, the, the the last thing that narrative does is it it explains it explains right. Narrative can can help us understand how we got to where we are and why things are the way we are. And and this is kind of the aspect that I really want to dig down deep into today. We are constantly telling ourselves stories about how we got to where we are how we're going to get to where we want to go, but then also why things are the way we are. And, and so this, this 
you know, the major elements of a story, like characters, protagonists, antagonists, plot, conflict, we, we, we just, it's our air that we breathe. We think about these things all the time, and we, we write stories without even thinking about it, about ourselves and who we are in that story and where we're going. And that very heavily influences the way we think about the world and the things that are happening around us. So, um, for, for, for whatever reason, we have this tendency to take the true story, the best story, the story that Disney knows and makes so much money off, off of, and forsake it, and instead cling to and hold on to uh, some other not as good story that we've made up and, and replay for ourselves in the back of, of our minds. So Jesus liked to tell stories too. Um, he uh, did it all the time. They're called parables. And uh, we're going to look at one of those today and kind of try and maybe all these confusing things I'm saying will, will actually start to make sense. Because uh, I think it only makes sense in my head at the moment. So I'll pray and, and we'll, we'll get going. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning and group of people and the opportunity to, to come and worship you together and learn about you and hear directly from you. Holy Spirit, I, I recognize that I cannot do anything uh, in and of myself alone up here, that it, we are 100% completely and totally reliant upon you to change our hearts and to draw us closer to you. So would you do that? Would you come? Would you, would you grab our hearts and pull us closer to you? God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to look in Matthew chapter 20, uh, starting in, in verse 1. If you were here a couple weeks ago, Matt, Matt taught on uh, the story of the rich young ruler. I think he did it out of the marker. It wasn't, it wasn't Matthew, I just, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but in Matt, Matthew's account here... Um, Jesus is, is talking with his disciples and, and you know, they hear, they hear this famous line from Jesus, like it's easier for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle, uh, or excuse me, it's easier for a camel, either way, right? It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And everybody kind of freaks out, like, how's, how's that gonna happen? And then they have a little bit more conversation and, and Jesus ends with this very confusing sort of phrase where he says, well, the last, many who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. And then he goes on directly after saying that into this story in the Matthew account. So we're going to kind of pick up where, where Matt left off a couple weeks ago. So 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a, denar a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. 
but each of them also received an, a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge me my generosity? So that the last will be first and the first last. So the, we'll kind of go back over it, right? So the, the way I imagine this going down, and it's a made up story, it didn't really happen. Uh, but so you can imagine like a, a small village in ancient Israel somewhere, right? And then maybe quite a few vineyards like around, like, uh, and then there are, you know, these, these wealthier people who like live in a house and own the vineyard, and then what, what they would do, right, was they'll, they'll come in to kind of the center of the village, and there'll be, there'll be men just kind of standing around uh, as day laborers waiting for, for somebody to come and hire them to come and work for that day. And so th- this story starts off with the master of a house, so a wealthy man who owns a vi- vineyard, he comes into the village uh, at the beginning of the day. And while he's, uh, and he's, he's looking for people to come out and work his vineyards. Uh, harvest maybe, prune, I don't know. He just, he needs workers. He needs people to, to come in and work in his vineyard. So he comes in early in the morning, right? Near daybreak, 6 a.m. Uh, finds a bunch of guys set, uh, and makes a deal with them. Hey, for a denarius, I will hire you and you can come and work in my vineyard all day long and then I will pay you that denarius at the end of the day. And they say, great, sounds good to us. That's a fair wage. We will go and, and work in, in your, your vineyard. <coughs> About three hours later, the, the master of the house wanders back into town and there are more guys there that haven't been hired yet that day. It's about 9 a.m. now, about three hours later. And he, he looks at those guys and says, hey, uh, Nobody hired you? Well, okay, tell you what. Go on in, uh, go on up to my vineyard, and, and whatever's right, I will pay you at the end of the day. Which is maybe like shorthand for, or if I were hearing that, right, it'd be shorthand for some like prorated version of whatever they got earlier in the day, right? So they're going to work about three quarters of the day, so about three quarters of it in there. That makes sense, right? Same thing at noon. Guy comes, uh, the master of the house comes at noon and makes the same deal. With, with the people standing there. He comes back at 3 p.m., the ninth hour, makes the same deal with those guys. Whatever's right, I'll pay you then. And then he comes at the 11th hour, right? So five, pretty close to quitting time, right? Sun's about to go down. There's not much time left in the day. And, and he's, he, they've been just standing around idle all day. And you can, you can almost hear in the master's voice, like he's, he's a little bit peeved that they would just kind of stand around all day long. But he's like, hey, go to the vineyard. Get in there. And so they do. He doesn't even offer them anything, right? He's just like, get in there. <laughs> and so they do. They go and they, they work in the vineyard the, you know, last few minutes of the day. Probably don't even get the full hour in. End of the day comes, six, sun's setting. It's, uh, it's about quitting time. Uh, and the master of the house says to his foreman, like his manager, his guy in charge, all right, I want you to, to line everybody up and pay them, but I want you to do it in reverse order. 
right? Whoever got here last, pay that guy first, and then go and then pay the first guy last. So they line up, maybe, I don't know, side by side here, right? They line up, foreman uh, walks up to the first guy, reaches into his purse and pulls out one whole shiny denarius, hands it to the guy. Guy over here is looking down here at that and thinks to himself, holy smokes, that guy worked like an hour and he's getting a full denarius. I worked like 12 of those. I bet I've got something closer to like 10 or 12 denarius coming my, to denari coming my way, right? Uh, and then they go, Foreman goes on down the line, right? And each guy, one, one after the other, gets one denarius. And so you can just kind of feel like, I think, I think we can all like feel what that would be like to be the guy down here who worked the whole day long and is seen everybody get paid the exact same amount and just sort of the the feelings of injustice and indignation that would sort of like begin to well up inside uh, to know that it it could have been true that I showed up at like 515 and got the same amount of money that that I did after having worked the whole day I've got a sunburn now my back's aching I'm, my head is ready to hit the pillow. I could have hung out in town all day long and gotten the exact same thing. I'm a little bit upset about how that went down. And then the, so the master of the house, seeing the, the, man, the men grumbling down here at, at this end, walks up to one of them and says, friend, this is exactly what we agreed to. Nothing has changed since the start of the day. You agreed to a denarius, you worked the day, and I gave it to you. At the beginning of the day, you were happy with that arrangement. Here we are at the end of the day. Why do you begrudge my generosity to the others? Right? And that's the story. Many who are last will be first, and who are, those who are first will be last. That's, that's how it wraps up. Who do you relate with in this story? When you, when, you, when you try and place yourself in this narrative, like, where are you? Really think about it. I think one, uh, like a typical understanding of this passage is that the, the denarius represents our, our salvation, right? And that, that God is, is, God is the master of the house, is coming along, and he's, he's given everybody... The, the same salvation uh, and that the the time of the time of day is is kind of like a like a when in life did you become a, a believer right and so there, there are people who've like been been following Jesus their entire life and for their entire life and there are people who've been you know like Come to come to faith on their deathbed, and and what we should take from this this passage is that like those those of us who like f- have been following Jesus for a while and carried the burden of obeying and doing all the like Christian things that you're supposed to do, we we shouldn't begrudge the the guy who like places his faith in Jesus on on death row and gets gets the same reward. 
And so the way people generally answer the question, I think, like, who are you? Who do you relate with in this story? Is, like, a, I think through, well, about when in my life did I come to faith in Jesus? And if I came to faith in Jesus at a very early age, I'm the, I'm the like, full-day worker. And if I came to faith in Jesus in college, I'm maybe, like, the 9 a.m. worker. And if I came to faith in Jesus, like, I don't know, 40, I'm, I'm like, the noon guy and, or, or whatever, right? As, as I think about it, there are lots of problems with that understanding of this passage. Uh, but there's, there's one glaring one. Uh, and that's that if, if the denarius represents salvation, if the denarius represents, yeah, relationship with Jesus, how much of that did you earn? The, the orthodox answer to, to that question is none. I earn zero of my denarius. None of it really belongs to me. And so I, I think the, the orthodox answer to the question, like, who are you in this passage, has to be, I'm the 11th hour guy. I'm the guy that shows up at the end because I didn't earn a single thing. Oftentimes when I ask people, like, who do you relate with in the passage, like, it's kind of like whoever, there's no right answer. Here there's a right answer. We're the 11th hour guy, no matter who you are. I wonder if that's, like, who you thought you were when I asked the question. I wonder, I kind of wonder, like, maybe do you feel like I tricked you? I think the chuckles maybe maybe make me think, yeah. (laughs) Some of you feel like I tricked you, right? Why, here, let's back up for a second. Why do we feel, why do we, we so readily relate with the guys that started out earlier? and almost never think of ourselves as the undeserving person. It, I, th- I think it has to do with the narratives that we have playing in the back of our mind about ourselves all the time, about who we are in the story and what our role is. I desperately want to be the hero of my own story. I desperately want it to be true I'm the deserving one. The, the funny thing is, is like, if, if you feel, so, so some of you, you feel tricked, right? But I didn't, I asked a pretty straightforward question, right? The, the straightforward question I asked was, how do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as a deserving person or a not deserving person? Are you the guy that deserve, like got what he deserved or are you the guy coming in at the end? And you came up with a truthful answer to that question. And, and so what we, what we did is we, we maybe revealed what's really going on in, on in your heart. Not, not so much 
yeah, we revealed what's really going on in your heart. And so maybe the real, the, maybe why you feel like I tricked you is because the idea that we've revealed what's actually going on in your heart goes against the narrative playing in the back of your mind. And the alternative narrative that, you know, the smug jerk on stage tricked me is a a much better narrative for me to believe where I get to keep being the hero of, of, of my story, where like it's not really my fault or like, oh I'm I'm really a good person and, and I know things and like I, I, I follow Jesus. I'm I'm a, I have a good view of myself. Like that's the, the story, the, the truth, the, the identity that we want to keep hold of. And and so so we totally reject out of hand this idea that that's not true and instead shift blame to the, the guy the guy on stage. That's what I would do if I were in your seat, right? Like, I don't... Please, please do not hear me try and, like, set myself up as, like, somebody who's got this all figured out or doesn't do it, right? The, the reason I know or think I know what's going on in the back of your mind is because it's always going on in the back of my mind. No one is as narcissistic as I am. Just believe, just ask me, I'm awesome. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, for a moment, right, or maybe the rest of your life, if, if you can believe, right, like, we, we cling to this idea that we're better than we actually are. I, I think it'll, it'll get us a lot of places. Uh, don't even know where I am in my notes at this point. Uh, All right. So the tragedy of this tendency to like play this the narrative of our own heroism in the in the back of our head is that it's it's actually not near as good as the true story. Right? The the point of this the point of the parable, the point of the passage is is not for us to like try and figure out which guy we are in the story. The the point of the the parable is well it's start it's at the very beginning with Jesus starts it out. The kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house. Right? The, the, the point of the parable is, is that the master of the house is handing out denarii to everyone, one by one, down the line, regardless of what we've done or what we deserve. The, the, the incredible goodness of the story, that it's a story about the generosity of the master of the house. There is no one as generous as he is. Nobody does this, right? Nobody hands out pay to people for work that they didn't do. The point of the story is is that the master of the house is far more generous than anybody else who's ever existed. And he's handing out denarii. And I don't when when we think about that that the denarius that he's handing out, right? And we, we think about what that means that he's giving us. We, we, we mentioned earlier, like, it, it, represents, it represents our salvation. And I, I think that that's accurate. Uh, but it's also, salvation is this almost like poor shorthand for, for actually a far greater reward. And <laughs> probably perk some ears. Uh, when, when we place our faith in Jesus we get far more 
than salvation from the punishment that we deserve. Right? If all we got was salvation from the punishment we deserve, well, that would be, that'd be a great example of the mercy of God. But in addition to, to that, we get all these other benefits and blessings. We, we get uh, sanctification and, and glorification, and, and our life begins to be transformed more, more and more and more into the image of Christ. Like what, is, what is God handing out when he's handing out a denarius? He's, it's nothing short of himself that he's giving us. Right? We, we, we think about the salvation and the gospel in terms of like what, what won't happen to us now. Like, the, there's this shorthand for, hey, what's the gospel? Oh, it's, well, it's that Jesus died for my sins. And that's, that is 100% true, but it is far from the entirety of the story. The saying that Jesus died for my sins is just a paraphrase of God died and it's my fault. Right? There's, there's so much more than, than just that. God is giving us himself, he, and he started it at the cross, right? He started it when, when God the Son took on flesh and then died. He gave himself for us, and then it, and then it continues as, as he, he gives out, the Father sends his Holy Spirit to come and live inside our hearts, to be his very presence with us all the time empowering us to overcome sin and do things that we thought we could not do and giving us words to say that we didn't know we had to say. Like that's, that's the, the power of God handed down to us. And then he's taking us and making us into something better than we, we ought to be so that he can invite us into this eternal relationship that when, when we place our faith in Jesus, we're united to Christ. And we get to, we get to experience that union, that, that deep intimacy with him for forever and ever. And even to the point that we're invited into the triune relationship of the Father and Son and the Spirit. So that we experience the unconditional love that the Father has shown the Son, that the Son has shown the Spirit, and that the Spirit has shown the Father for all eternity, forever and ever. We are made co-heirs of the kingdom of heaven in Christ with him. That means we become cosmic royalty from now until forever, and that is being handed out to everyone. Every person who showed up at the 11th hour. We have this incredible story this incredible rags to riches, this incredible story of redemption, this incredible story of, of salvation and rescue. This in, I mean, we are all of the best stories rolled into one. That is our story. Yet we often tend to reject it for a, for a poor substitute where, where we become the story, the, the hero rather than the rescue. All right, what, is, what does this have to do with gratitude, right? Here's what I think. I think 
the story that you chase will directly affect how grateful you feel and therefore how much joy you experience in this life. If, if your story is that I showed up at the 11th hour, but still, I was given far more than I deserve. Far, everything I just described to you, it's not hyperbole, right? It's, it's a phantom of what's actually true. I can't describe, no one on earth can describe how incredible the love of God is, how generous, how, how far-reaching his goodness towards us is. The, the glory and reality that are coming towards us, we, we cannot even begin to comprehend, right? Like, if you cling to that story, if you, if you can spend your time trying to think on the goodness that you will receive and, and do not deserve, you can't help but experience gratitude. You can't help but experience joy. On, on the other hand, if your story is about you as the hero, it's going to kind of play out like this, right? You're, you're going to gravitate towards stories that either explain why you're entitled to what you do have, um, right? Well, of course I have this income or, or this lifestyle or whatever because I have this education and this, uh, they made these decisions and work this amount of hard. And so, yeah, of course I'm, of course I have all of these things. I'm entitled to them. Or it might even go so far as like, not only am I entitled to what I have, but I'm, I'm entitled to more than I have. Uh, or, or the reason that I don't have more is because things are unfair, and that guy over there who does have more than me, he has more than me because it's, because it's unfair. The reason why I have more than all of those people is totally justifiable, but the reason I don't have as much as those guys is, isn't justifiable at all. Like, I am the perfect amount of where I'm supposed to be, except maybe I ought to be a little bit more over here, maybe. That leads to entitlement and bitterness. So are you, are you a grateful person? If, if you think you're a, a full day pr laborer, if you think you're a, a nine hour laborer, I would, I would charge you to really struggle with that question. Right? Maybe there is a tendency in your heart to believe that, that I, you deserve what you have. I mean, the, the truth is, is that everything I have is a gift, right? I might, you know, I work, I work my, my job five days a week and, and put in some extra hours and, and I'm college educated and pretty smart guy. And so like all of these things like add up together, like, yeah, of course I should have what I have. But, but there's no reason that any of those reasons I gave should be true about me. that I was born within these borders at this time in, in, in history, that I have 
the skin color that I do, that I have, was born into a family that was, like, it would be shameful if I didn't get a college education. Like there, I've, I bet the vast majority of the, the people in the room who are, who are college educated, like, you didn't even actually make a decision to go to college. It wasn't really even a question. You just kind of did it because you, like, that's what you do. We're, these things that are, these reasons that we give ourselves, they're, those are gifts too. I'm off track now. Um, we, we worship a God, a, a great and glorious and generous and wonderful God that wants to treat us far better than we could ever hope to treat ourselves. He wants to give us far more than we could ever hope to earn or deserve on our own. When we cling to this, these stories about ourselves and why we deserve what we have, we, we actually deprive ourselves of a far greater joy of knowing that there is a, a God who loves us and cherishes us and desires to give us that we, which we could, could never possibly hope to have. Let me, uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your overwhelming generosity, the, the riches of your grace and kindness towards us, the, the goodness that you pour out on us and we do not deserve. Uh, God, we, we repent of our, our broken hearts that desire to, yeah, that desire to make ourselves the hero, to, to dethrone you from that role. Uh, would you change us? Would you help us to remember and know that, that you are the one who saves, that you are the one who gives freely of yourself and that our true reward is, is not uh, the self-satisfaction of, of feeling like we deserve what we have, but the, the joy of being overwhelmingly loved by such a good God. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.